Um, it's been a little bit since I've been up here speaking. And I realized the other day that it's Father's Day weekend, so I wasn't really sure which direction to go in, um, if I wanted to be cliche and do a Father's Day sermon, um, or just go off on a tangent, or as Bob says, one of his rabbit trails. So today is one of my rabbit trails, um, probably not as exciting as his, but that's okay. Um, but I also noticed that this weekend, Father's Day weekend, um, what is my one year of being with you guys. So, <laughs> so it's super, super exciting to, uh, to celebrate that this morning um, and to just look back on the year. I'm super grateful um, to be here with you, to serve you, to serve with you, um, and just see what God has in store for us in the, in the future. Um, so this morning, as we go into God's Word, if you would like to, you can turn to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 is where we'll be at. Um, and as you turn there, I'll, I'll open us in prayer. Father, thank you again. Um, we cannot thank you enough. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit um, who teaches and directs us and guides us and convicts us. Father, I, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning that, Lord, we will see what you want us to see, um, hear what you want us to hear, Father, and that we will take that and apply it, Lord. Um, Father, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today, um, today's message simply is that, to be doers, to be doers of the word. Um, some 12 years ago, I made the decision to go into full-time ministry. Um, and when I made that decision, I had no idea what that meant. Absolutely none. Never went to Bible school at the time. Um, never really took into account what it all entailed. I just knew I wanted to serve God full time for the rest of my life. Um, I shared with you before in past message a little bit about my story. Um, and it was through my very rearing, real encounter with the grace and mercy of God that I made that decision and that I would do it no matter what he asked me to do and where he would take me with that. Um, at the time, I began praying and seeking where God wanted me, and I sat down with my pastor at the time. I attended Baraka Church in Philadelphia, and my pastor, Pastor Wood, um, sat down with me, and I just was able to glean from him, just ask him questions, um, really just grill him, with all kinds of things that I was curious about in the ministry life um, and, and what I needed to know. And he shared with me many things. Um, and one of the things that sh stayed with me the most, and it remains with me to this day, I mean, it's constantly on my mind, is to always seek Christ in everything because he is in everything and everything points to him. That wasn't just referring to scripture, but also in life. And it's been that advice that has motiva motivated me over the years to remain in full-time ministry. 
It's one of the things that I thought about first when Bob shared with us that message a few weeks ago, and he gave us these, the method SOAP on studying Scripture. To look at the Scripture intently, to study it, to read it over and over, to observe it, um, to observe the truths that are in it, to apply it to our lives, um, and to use it in our prayer life. And reflecting on this method, it urged me to take a step further and ask myself a few more questions. Looking back at this advice that my old pastor gave me, I began to look at it and ask, how do I see Christ as I'm studying? What truths about him am I learning? How do I respond like Christ from what I am reading? And how do I speak to Christ and to the Father according to what I'm reading? It's given me something to focus on. Instead of just rummaging aimlessly through Scripture, I now have a purpose in studying, to look for Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Him, and everything in the New Testament points back to Him. I shared this recently uh, while I was at the summer camp um, a few days ago, and I was challenged to share with them Two things. One was the importance of Scripture in our lives. And two, what does it mean to be a Christian? And I shared with them exactly that. To look for Christ. To live as Christ lived. In fact, I've adopted, um, and you've probably heard it before, a saying, and that is, my, and my aim is to know Christ and to make him known. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing. Whether I'm up here or whether I'm out there mowing a yard. How do I know Christ in what I'm doing and how do I make him known through what I'm doing? We have to remind ourselves that it's what Jesus came to do. To seek and save the lost. We can't forget that. And so in our passage today, we'll take a look at that now. We'll read it together, um, starting in verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves relig religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In our passage today, um, in James, we see a similar message. 
this letter from James, we know that throughout the book, the name of Jesus is only mentioned twice. It's not a whole lot if you think about it. But at a closer glance, we notice that although Jesus is barely mentioned, his letter is full of, of Jesus and his teachings. When we look at James, the book of James, many believe it to be or see it as kind of a commentary on the teachings of Jesus. It's kind of a mini-commentary on the Sermon on the Mount more specifically, which can be found in Matthew chapter 5 and through 7. Our passage today echoes the words of Jesus that can be found in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And that says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Simple, right? Having built a couple buildings from the ground up while at camp, I kind of understood this. Actually, anyone who owns a house, or lives in one for that matter, understands this very quickly. What's your foundation? What does your house sit on? If it is on a solid base like rock, chances are it isn't going anywhere anytime soon. But if it's on something soft like sand, well, the first sign of water, I would encourage you to pack up and move on. That house won't be in good condition depending on the strength of the structure or the strength of the storm on that structure. That's how our lives are in Christ. It's the importance of studying scriptures. The more we know and learn about Christ and the more we act on his word, obeying his word, the stronger our foundation, the less shaky things will be. We saw echoes of this in 1 John. Walk in the light. Love one another. Why? Because God is light and God is love. And if we are followers of Christ, then we should be the same thing, doing the will of our Father. So James in his letter is telling us the same thing, to walk in the way of light, to walk in the way of love, and more, to walk in the way of wisdom. James is encouraging the church to not allow our circumstances and situations to override what the Word of God tells us and calls us to do and how to live. We're, we're being encouraged to watch what we build on. At the beginning of chapter 1, we see James encouraging us to ask for wisdom. We see that in verse 5. To seek God. Why? so that we don't have doubt, so that we can handle the trials and temptations in life. We need to be aware of these trials and temptations that we allow to come into our lives. We need to be able to resist those things so that our foundation is solely on Christ and nothing else, not ourselves, not anything that belongs to this world. God's word over our word. We can't do things on our own or on our, in our own way. This makes sense to me. 
when we began to build a facility for our after-school program at the camp I worked at, I was very grateful for the people that came in and helped us, especially those that came in and built that foundation. To have that knowledge on how far to dig and what materials to use. If it was left up to me, it would have fallen like a house of cards in the wind because of my lack of knowledge. When I face trials and temptations in life, I can't do it alone. I must depend on the word of God to walk me through it. I must allow God to shed his light on the matter and guide me. If it's left up to me, I would be a, a real hot mess. So this got me thinking, and I made it a little bit more real in my life. Um, I'll share with you a story. My father uh, is from Puerto Rico, and so growing up, we would go to the island to visit with family. Um, and we would go, uh, I'd say, probably once a year, maybe twice, depending. And so it was probably around the time when I was 11 or 12, uh, we went and we visited a friend of the family. And as we were arriving, uh, their kids came running out, and we got to meet with them, and, and just, we kind of went off and did our own thing, and we were running around the house, when I was starting to realize they had a lot of, like, really cool toys. They had three kids, and it was me and my sister, um, and so they had a lot of cool things to play with, and, and even, like, had a boat. That was there, and, and the boat was parked on a trailer. Um, it wasn't in use at the time, but it was there. And so, of course, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy shop, just running around, playing with all these things. And finally, I came around, and I noticed that one of those things was a go-kart. Oh, somebody already knows. All right. As we were running around, I inquired about it, and I asked him about it, and he looked at me, and he said, hey, do you want to drive? And never having driven anything in my life before, my answer to him quickly was yes. The extent of his tutorial on how to operate it consisted of, hey, you pull this string to start it, you sit in the seat, you press the two pedals, when you want to stop, you go, uh, when you want to stop and when you want to go, and this wheel, you turn it to the direction that you want to go in. So I said, it can't be that bad, right? Pretty simple. So we started it up. I jumped in, and off I went. About three minutes later, I found myself speeding too fast. And as I was coming around the corner, I lost kind of control of the go-kart. And instead of coming around the house, I drifted off and went straight across the yard directly towards the boat that was parked on the trailer. So in all of my wisdom of driving, because, you know, all of like three minutes of experience, I knew exactly what to do. And so as I was driving down, and you can imagine just bumping along, and I see this boat, my first inclination and my first thing to do was to throw my hands and my feet in the air and just scream really loud. Thankfully, his father noticed what was going on, and he jumped in. He ran over and was able to get his foot into the go-kart and hit the brake before we went into the boat. Apparently, I wasn't going as fast as I thought I was. <laughs> you 
You see, my lack of wisdom and knowledge of driving gave me a poor foundation. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what I was doing, which made it very difficult for me to respond accordingly in the predicament I was in. How often does that happen in our lives? We find ourselves in a pickle because of our lack of knowledge and wisdom on something. We make hasty decisions. We make choices without having a full understanding of what is happening or how something works. And unfortunately, in most of those situations, our first response or reaction is, Why, God? Or why are you allowing this to happen to me? You see, in my own situation, I would venture to say that God had very little to do with what was happening. That was my oops. I didn't know the gas pedal from the brake pedal. In fact, if he was involved, um, if he was involved in it from the very beginning, I would say that those trials and temptations that we face in our day-to-day lives wouldn't be happening and if they were, they wouldn't be very challenging at all. We fall into these things on our own. If we jump a little bit before our passage in verses 13 through 18, we see James tells us, and it says, And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us His true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. If you look in the uh, NIV and the NASB, I believe it says that we are, we become his first fruits. We need to be mindful of what we're doing. We can't just go blaming it all on God. We must be responsible for our own actions. We need to be mindful of what we're doing. Careful how we build. Christ should be our cornerstone and foundation. Everything must go off of him. He is our standard and our God. If we look at 1 Corinthians 3 and Luke 15, we're warned on how to build on this foundation. We can't go at it blindly and then blame God for it. He gives us everything we need, and all of it is good and perfect. We sang that song this morning, You're a good, good father. Nothing bad comes from the father. We need only look to him. He knows the plans. He is the master builder. He has taken us in as his children. He's made us his first fruits. Or as the NLT says, are his prized possessions. We have been redeemed and reconciled. It's been a part of his plan from the very beginning. 
He has been moving towards salvation and reconciling of all things since the beginning of time. You see, he gives us that identity in him. We're free. We sang that this morning as well. I'm no victim. I'm not a slave. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We can count on him. God didn't just say that he loved us, but he showed it to us. It wasn't just words. He didn't just speak, but he acted on it. He did it. And so we're warned. Our words are powerful. Just as God used words to put the earth and us into existence, our words put things into motion as well. He exhorts us, James does in verse 19. He says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We cannot allow and should not allow our sinful nature to override what God has put inside us. Those things are a distraction to who we are. Those temptations, those trials, bad habits, you name it, those things distract us from what we should be doing and what we're intended to do. And so he, he encourages to slow down a bit. Take in what's going on. Don't be so hasty. So what trials and temptations are pulling you away from what God has for you in him? What is it in your life that is competing for your attention and trying to give you a new identity? You see, we've been made a new creation in him. We see it often. We label people by what we see and hear of them. How they dress, how they act. Are they mean, angry, bossy, rude? Instead, we should look past those things and see what God has intended. Our sinful nature enjoys pulling out the worst in people, but God, through Christ, wants to pull out the best in people. We see that in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He doesn't just look at the outside, right? but he looks at the inside. He sees the heart. These trials and temptations and so forth spoil and hinder our witness. We become bad fruit. We must become aware of what is hindering us. Not just those external things, but we must look deeper and find the struggle internally. It's a heart check. It's like David in the Psalms when he asked God to search him and know him. We see that in Psalm 139. David wanted to know what was keeping him from living how God wanted him to and to keep him, keeping him from glorifying God and all that he was doing. He didn't want to spoil his witness of who God was and still is today. So the question begs, how do we do, so what do we do and how do we change that? James tells us in verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that so is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. We need to put off all filthiness 
The NASB says filthiness and, re- and the remains of wickedness. The word filthiness in the Greek means to lust after things with, of great sensuality. This is not just sexually, but any sort of moral impurity. Anything that pleases the senses and moves us to sin. In the same manner, the remains of wickedness are those things that are evil and malice, things that pervert the truth. It's pretty strong language from James. But oftentimes it's necessary to get us to look at what we need to look at and focus on what we need to focus on. You see, James understands that sin is not welcome in the kingdom of God. He can't look upon it. He detests it. So much so that when his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for our sins and took the sins of the world upon himself, the Father turned away from him. But he doesn't just leave us there. He doesn't just say, hey, you need to clean yourself up. Get rid of all this junk. Right? He doesn't just leave us there without any other options. If we look at verse 21 again, it says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. You see, when God asks you to remove something from your life, he's going to give you something in place. Verse 21 says that we must receive the word that has been planted within us. Humbly submit to the word of God. You see, he gets straight to the issue. It's another heart check. We need to submit and be obedient. Not just listen, but we must also do. We must also act. Another question for you this morning is, are you submitting to God's word or to your own desires and pleasures? Sometimes it feels good to keep the old clothes on. right? We feel comfortable. We think we look cool. We think we look good. In reality, we look funky. I know I'm not the only one that holds on to your favorite pair of sweats, even though they may have a hole or two in them. It also reminds me of those memes that you see depicting what we think we look like we're doing versus what we actually look like when we're doing something. Actually, let me, let me give you an example. All right. So this is how I think I look like when I'm driving, Mr. Cool up top. And that's how I actually look at the bottom. Good old Mr. Bean. It's completely all over the place. You see, we never see what others see unless we're told. We never see what others see unless we're shown. James gives us that same picture in the next couple of verses. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Oh, that is the wrong verse. 
There we go. And anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, says, uh, do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many times have we done that? We wake up in the morning, we go in, look at ourselves in the mirror, and just quickly walk away. You see, the point of a mirror is to give you a reflection so that you can see what you look like. It's the same with God's Word. It's a mirror that reflects who Christ is. And so when we look into the Word, we see who Christ is, we see who God is, and we should be able to look at those things and see in our lives the things that we need to change, the things that we need to shift around, the things that we need to get rid of, the things we need to put off, and the things that we need to put on. Looking into the Word of God does that for us. When we're studying with Him, when we sit down with Him every day, the Spirit convicts us. Don't miss that. When we take something off, God always gives us something to replace it with. We see that here as an example in this, in this passage. We see that we take off pride and we put on humbleness and humility. We take off filth and the remains of wickedness and he clothes us with humbleness and humility in his word. So don't be afraid. Whatever it is God is asking you to remove or change, he already has something to replace it with. It takes intentionality to be intentional. We need to be committed to do what we're doing. We need to be committed as followers of Christ to the word of God and doing the will of God in our lives. If not, we'll be like the house built on shifting sands. When the waves come, we'll be pulled out to sea. And instead of drowning in his grace, we'll be pulled down by the riptide of this world. But it's not just as simple as that. We have to prove it. We have to do something about it. We can't deceive ourselves or blind ourselves. See, we see this in Scripture, not just in James. But if we look back in Matthew, we see this with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked him of what it takes to get into heaven, to have eternal life. And so Jesus responds to him and he tells him, he says he has to obey all these commands and he lists all the commands. And the rich young ruler, I'm pretty sure with a smirk, says, I've got that covered. I've done that. I've kept all of those. And so Jesus looks back at him and responds. Here's the heart check. Says to give all that he has away to help the poor. And it was at that that the rich young ruler turned away saddened. You see, when Jesus asked about the commandments, the ruler was quick to say that he was keeping them all. He kept the law. It was the traditions of man, the things that man wants to see upheld and obeyed. 
But when Jesus asked him about his riches and to care for the least of those around him, that was too much to ask. You see, the rich young ruler wasn't willing and ready to obey the gospel, the greatest commandment, to love his neighbor as himself, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wasn't willing to give all that he had left to God. So it begs the question, what are you holding back and what are you holding on to? If we look at verse 25, it says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's what we need to do. Look intently at the word of God. Be intentional. Spend time with him. Not just two minutes a day, but dig in. Ask some questions. Do some studying. You see, it's a perfect law, a law of liberty. It frees us and allows us and helps us to resist those trials and temptations, those things that hold us back from being who he intended us to be, who he created us to be. And that was to be people who bear his image. It frees us from those things. It allows us to be on pursuit of God and the things of righteousness. It's then and only then that we'll have no time for anything else that tries to creep in and steal us from our true identity. This reminded me of Psalm chapter 1. It encourages us that we need to be rooted firmly besides the streams of water which will yield its fruit and not wither, but in every season prosper. Looking intently into the word of God, focusing on reflecting him properly leads us to true religion. It leads us to being Christ to the least of those in our own life. Allows us to focus on others. We see in verse 26 and 27, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what's holding you back? What's keeping you from being who God intended you to be? Because those things that are, have a hold on you, that have a grip on you, are keeping you from being hands and feet of Christ. It's keeping you from being a vessel of His love and grace to those around Him that need it. Who are the least of these around you? In your family? among your friends, your co-workers. Again, what's holding you back from being who God created you to be? An even greater question, are you willing to let it go? Will you allow Christ to clothe you in new garments? Will you make a move? Not just listening to what he said, but actually going out and doing God's word 
I'll leave you with this quote from Martin Luther. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. A, relig a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. You see, Christ gave it all for us. And so we should be completely focused on him and be working with intention to remove those things from our life and allow ourselves to be who he intended us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We're so grateful that you love us so much. We're so grateful that you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins. Father, thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Father, I pray that as we leave here this morning, Father, as we go and, and spend time with family and friends, as we go and begin a new week, Father, that we would just make that extra time to be with you a little more each day. And Father, that you will reveal to us the things that we need to take off and the things that we need to put on. Father, that we shouldn't just listen to your word, but that we should do it. And Father, by removing these things and putting on what you've given us, that it gives us freedom. Freedom to do the things that you want us to do, that you need us to do. Father, again, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. This time we're going to receive our tithes and offering as the gentlemen come forward. If you're visiting with us today, we ask that you do not place anything in unless you have a visitor's card. Um, this is a time for our members and regular attenders to worship and giving. Thank you.